America's tallest Christmas tree is no longer found at Rockefeller Center in New York City. Starting this year, that honor now belongs to Enid, Oklahoma, where America's tallest tree stands 75% taller than the Rockefeller Center tree. This tree stands, towers at 140 feet. You can see the guy on the uh, bucket truck lift there. It's only about halfway up. 140 feet. Slightly taller than our tree in the courtyard, which is beautiful, by the way. Last year's tree, dubbed the Christ tree, was ringed with 20,000 multicolored LED lights, decorated with 10,000 ornaments, and circled with 12 smaller trees. It's the centerpiece of the one. The city's 42-day event featuring concerts, plays, um, all kind of Christmas activities celebrating the coming of Christmas. Kyle Williams is the entrepreneur behind the one. He said, our main goal is to highlight the true meaning of Christmas, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This tree reminds us of His greatness, and it's time to bring faith, joy, and hope back into the holiday season, he said. Maybe you know someone this morning who needs to discover Christmas. Or maybe someone, maybe even like yourself, who needs to rediscover Christmas, or at least revisit Christmas and let the love and joy and the peace and the hope that, that came to us because Jesus came to us touch our hearts again and renew our spirits again. We may find this hard to believe, but not everyone knows what Christmas is all about. And not everyone knows who Jesus is. That's why we need to be people who are are bold to share the good news of Christmas. So today we begin our celebration of Advent. The English uh, translation of this Latin word means to come to. And the word points to the coming, the first coming, the Advent, the first coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So these are days of preparation. We're trying to, to, uh, to, to make room for Jesus. We're trying to focus on Jesus. We're trying to uh, prepare our hearts. So we uh, celebrate the first four Sundays before Christmas. You see the, the Advent wreath in front of us. It's very symbolic. The evergreen uh, represents everlasting life. The four candles represent hope, joy, peace, and love. The middle candle is lighted on Christmas Eve, and it represents the Christ child coming. That's why we light the, this candle during our Christmas Eve service. And it helps us count down to Christmas, but as we're counting down to Christmas and the birthday of Jesus, we're also preparing our hearts. So today, as we think about this series, Discovering Christmas, let's discover hope. So I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar prophecy passage, and also Psalm 130. We're going to be reading Psalm 130 first. Psalm 130, if you'll read with me and follow with me, and then Isaiah Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, as we think about discover hope. So the psalmist writes in Psalm 130, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. 
O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all its, His iniquities. And then uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a, a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So what do we see this morning as we think about discover hope? Well, first of all, biblical hope expresses certainty. We've plowed this ground before, but let's renew ourselves, like reacquaint ourselves with biblical hope. In the Old Testament, the meaning of the word hope for hope is often synonymous with trust. For example, Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 22 reads, Our hope is in you, meaning our trust is in you. Jeremiah used a, a noun form of this root to say that the Lord is the hope of Israel, meaning that God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our confidence. For example, Jeremiah 14, 8 and Jeremiah 17, 13. You can write those down and look back at them this afternoon. Hope in the Old Testament means to wait for God expectantly. In times of trouble, we wait on the Lord, knowing and trusting God. He will turn things around in His timing. Psalm 25, verses 20 and 21. Psalm 130, verse 5, that verse we just read, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word I do hope. That means I trust His Word because God is faithful. I put full confidence in God's Word and in God's character. And then in Psalm 40, verse 1, which reads, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. This, individual or this term indicates that the individual is bearing affliction patiently while waiting for the Lord's deliverance. Now just as the Old Testament writers used hope to relate to trust, Paul in the New Testament carries the same idea as he writes about setting our hope upon God. Write these passages down. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And setting our hope upon Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Just as the Old Testament uses hope as eagerly waiting, expecting, and anticipating, the New Testament doesn't use the word hope in that sense as often, but certainly communicates the idea of hoping, waiting, and anticipating. 
Now, if you go home this afternoon and read Luke chapter 1 on this first day of Advent, I read Luke chapter 1 this morning. Tomorrow you'll be in Luke chapter 2 and you'll see two examples about New Testament hope as it relates to the, Christ, to the Christmas story. Simeon eagerly waited for the coming of the Messiah. That's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. And then Anna, the prophetess, when she recognized Jesus, proclaimed Him to all those who looked for redemption. We find that in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Our society, our culture, our human nature does not embrace this idea of eagerly waiting. We want the Christmas Day experience without the experience of waiting, don't we? We gather our goods and we go to the checkout line and we try to find the shortest line. I found a, 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 a rule of shopping, or maybe it's a truth of shopping, or a principle of shopping, or whatever. Just because the short, it's the shortest line doesn't mean it's the shortest wait. Because inevitably, I bring my stuff up there and load and everything's spread out and the person, two people in front of me has some kind of issue that requires the assistant store manager who can't figure it out. It requires the store manager who has to call corporate and we're all standing there waiting in line when we could have uh, already been out of the store. So that's just kind of how we operate. We want the Christmas Day experience the Christmas moment without the experience of waiting and without the intentionality of preparing our heart for His coming. Let every heart prepare Him room we sing. We often rush right through the opportunity to prepare our hearts during this season, preoccupied, busy, frenzied. We're thinking Christmas is coming too fast. Our focus is in the wrong place, isn't it? Even though we have things we have to do, things we need to tackle. Biblical hope is is different from worldly hope. We, We often use hope to mean to wish for certainty, or to wish for, to wish for, without certainty of fulfillment. To wish for something, but it's not certain that what we wish for will be fulfilled. However, biblical hope is a strong and confident expectation based on the faithfulness of God. We have a biblical basis for this hope. And that biblical basis is based on the faithfulness and the character and the track record of God. Another definition. You may want to write this one down. A confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, but biblical hope expects God's best to happen. Because God is sitting on His throne, because God is sovereign, because God is good, His nature is good. In fact, this hope is confident that it will happen because God always comes through for us. If you're a tweeter, that's a good tweet. God always comes through for us. God is always faithful. Do you believe God always comes through? Can you think of some some recent uh, experiences in your life, in your spiritual journey, in in which God came through for you? 
God always comes through. Do you expect God to do great things in your life this Christmas season? Second, biblical hope springs from the promises of God. Biblical hope springs from the promises of God. Look at uh, Psalm 130, verses 4 and 5. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I do hope. And then look at verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. The psalmist was so overwhelmed with whatever was going on in his life, whatever burden he was feeling and carrying, that he felt like he was drowning. He was in the depths. He says in verse 1, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. He felt like he was so overwhelmed. He'd had enough. He couldn't stand it any longer. And he cried out to God. He had cried out to God in the past. He was still crying out to God in the present. He was crying for God's intervention. Verse 2 says, Lord, hear my voice. Let your, let your ears tune to my supplications. In this worship song sung by the people of Israel as they ascended into the temple to meet God, they declared that they had hope in God for three reasons. Because He was willing to forgive their sin. Verse 4. Because God's Word was worthy and is worthy of my trust. Verse 5. Because God's love God's mercy, verse 7, is unfailing. Now let me ask you something. Can you relate to what the psalmist shared in verse 1? That feeling of being overwhelmed, that feeling maybe of being in the, in the depths. Do you, do you feel as if sometimes you are crying from, from the depths, that you are so overwhelmed with the trials and the burdens and the problems and the difficulties and the stresses of life that, that you are drowning? Again, we come to this point as we did in 2020, as we did in 2021, and we say this has not been an easy year. Inflation, rising interest rates, high gas prices, political division, and by the way, let me say a pastoral word here, vote. It's your civic responsibility. Shootings every time we turn around, COVID, flu, RSV. God says, don't give up. Put your hope in me. Put your full confidence in me. Advent is about hope. God gives us hope in dark days. God gives us hope in life's difficult days. Remember, God kept His promise. He fulfilled His prophecy when He sent Jesus into the world as a baby at Bethlehem. For years, the people of God longed for the Savior to arrive. They were watching for Him. They were longing for Him. They had read the prophecies. They knew that in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10, Jacob had told his son Judah that from his tribe would come the Messiah. They were familiar with Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. They read uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and knew the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall bear and conceive, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. They knew Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 
that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. They knew the Messiah would descend from Jesse, David's father, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. They were familiar with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and so forth. God promised Jesus, and in His perfect time, God sent Jesus, and we celebrate His birth, the Word becoming flesh at Christmas time. Christmas comes to proclaim that God, in His faithfulness, keeps His promises. He never fails us. So don't grow discouraged. Instead, discover, or maybe in your case, rediscover the gift of hope. And let the Word of God assure you. Listen to God's Word for your life this morning. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. We need to be like the little girl in her Sunday morning Bible study class. On the way home from church, the parents asked the little girl what she learned in, in her grow group, and she answered, I learned today that God never says oops. And that's the truth. The people of God saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Is our hope in the Lord, is our confidence in the Lord, or is our confidence in man? Third, moving on to Isaiah's passage, biblical hope comes as light in the darkness. Biblical hope comes as light in darkness. Verse 2 says of Isaiah 9, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The people of God were living in discouraging times. If you go back and read all of Isaiah 8, which of course sets up Isaiah 9, the prophet painted a picture of intense anguish for those who rejected God. And also a, a picture of crisis for the nation of Israel. The people would eventually find themselves in slavery as a foreign power conquered them. Their distressful predicament drove them into gloom and drove them into despair. There seemed to be no hope. Then Isaiah proclaimed good news. There is, there is light coming to this darkness. That's what verse 2 is all about. There is a day coming in which the nation would multiply and would have the manpower to defend itself against its enemies. There will be a day in which joy will return. Their joy will be like the exhilaration experienced when, when the harvest comes in and, or, or when warriors conquer and then they get to divide the spoils of war because they are victorious. They were looking for the light that would come to banish the darkness that was their reality at the moment. Powerful light did come. In the person of Jesus Christ, for Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse, 20, verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me shall not remain in darkness. And we know, of course, he's talking about spiritual darkness. For those who are lost, those who are without Jesus are spiritually blind. They cannot see, they cannot understand, and Jesus is the only light that can banish the darkness of their life. More than ever, we need the message of Christmas. We get, need the good news that the light of Christmas has come to give us hope and certainty. Do you see the light that's shining in the darkness? Do you know someone who, walking in darkness who needs this light, who needs to meet Jesus, the light of the world? 
So his darkness or her darkness will be banished. Fourth, biblical hope comes as a deliverer to the oppressed. If your Bibles are open to Isaiah 9, verses 4 and 5 make mention. Of, well, let me just read them. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used of burning for, and fuel for fire. Notice the words yoke and rod. They refer to the heavy burden of despair that they were living in, that they were carrying. The day of Midian refers to the victory of Israel under Gideon, recorded in Judges chapters 6 through 8, and reminds them of God's divine intervention that gave Israel victory in battle. Notice verse 5. This speaks of a time when all the paraphernalia of war will be destroyed. All the oppressor's bloody garments will be burned up when Israel delivers, uh, God delivers Israel again and gives them victory over the enemies. God promises victory in their battle and deliverance from their oppressors and, and removal of their burdens. So Israel may have taken this statement to refer to, um, to national victory, to military victory, to political gain or to military might. But we know Isaiah was speaking of spiritual terms. God is building a spiritual kingdom that is eternal. God is building a kingdom that is beyond this world and beyond our, our human comprehension. Something that the human eye cannot grasp. Something that the human mind cannot envision. Because hope is coming, there will come a day in which God's people will be delivered from this dark and sinful world. As Fred Wood wrote, the ultimate fulfillment of every statement concerning war and peace is found in the victory that Jesus Christ gives over the reign of sin in the human heart. Satan may have freedom to roam this world and to wreak havoc now, but he is already defeated. As John wrote, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Christmas is about the victory that Jesus gives to us when we place our trust and our faith in Him. Christmas is about the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that we discover because of the victory that's already taken place because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. Fifth, biblical hope comes as a child born and a child given. A child who is born. A child who is given. This is a great verse. You're familiar with it. Verse 6. For unto us a son is born. And unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Underline unto us. What an encouragement. Maybe this is a timely word for you this morning. Whatever burden you're carrying, whatever hardship you're dealing with, God is thinking of you right this moment. You are on the forefront of His mind as He thinks about His children 
He was thinking of you when He gave us Jesus. For unto us, for unto you. Isaiah said this child is both born and given. That is not accidental wording. This is a reference to Jesus' humanity. He came into this world the same way you and I came into this world. He was born of a mom who was a virgin, chosen by God because of her righteousness. But it also speaks of Jesus' deity. He was given in that He was God-given. This verse speaks of a God moment. This verse proclaims God's intervening in our world and in our lives to give us a way out of sin and a way to salvation. This child is the Father's gift of love to a sinful humanity who desperately needed then and needs now His redemption. Isaiah gives gives us insight into what kind of person this unique son will be. You're aware, of course, that the uh, name in the Old Testament is more of a reference to the character of the person and the nature of the person. Maybe sometimes it's a reference to the the mission that God uh, has laid upon the person. But look at what he says about this unique child that is given unto us. This gift of God given to us as God had us on His mind. What do we see about this child? First, Jesus will be wonderful. The root word translated wonder means one of a kind or unique. Jesus was wonderful in His coming. A virgin birth? Who would have ever thought of that? His arrival in Bethlehem of all places. God coming to earth as a man? This amazing life that He lived? What about His teaching? He taught as one who had had authority. They were amazed. They never heard anyone teach like He taught. He was wonderful in His ministry. He was wonderful in His healing. He was wonderful in His, in his examples that He said. He was wonderful in His death as he, as he took our place. He was our substitute. Wonder is important because wonder leads to worship. When we think about Jesus, we should have that sense of awe, especially as we prepare our hearts to celebrate His birthday. Amen. Second, Jesus will be Counselor. He will be counselor. We need Jesus' counsel instead of trying to limp along, leaning on our own limited understanding, don't we? The Bible says lean not on your own understanding. There's a reason for that. We're supposed to be trusting in the Lord and seeking Jesus' wise counsel as, as He gives us His wisdom through His Word and through His Holy Spirit and through godly people who, who counsel us and through prayers as God speaks to us in prayer. If we'll just take a few moments to slow down and listen to Him. Wonderful Counselor. Jesus has the answer for any problem we have. That's what that means, that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Jesus has the answer for any problem that we have. Jesus has a wonderful plan for our lives. Jesus has a wonderful word for us today. We'll just take a moment the first thing of the day and and, and open His Word and, and seek His Word. And seek Him throughout the day. Third, Jesus is a mighty God. He gives us the strength to endure and persevere and to walk through the demands of life. His his name refers to His deity because He Himself is God. He is a mighty God, full of all strength and omnipotence. Fourth, Jesus is everlasting Father. Literally, He's the Father of eternity. He is eternal Himself. 
He has no beginning. He has no end. That blows my mind away because I can't imagine that in my human limitations. God has always been and always will be. So He's everlasting Father. And then fifth, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. This peace has nothing to do with what's happening on the outside, but refers to our state of heart and mind on the inside. This is God's peace in the midst of our storm. This is the peace that God gives to us when we focus on Him and instead of focusing on our circumstances. This is the peace of God that, that, that fills our hearts and fills our lives when we turn to Him in, in prayer. This is the peace that, that Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 when he tells us to be anxious for nothing, but to let the peace of God rule our hearts as we pray and, and bring our request before Him. He's the Prince of Peace. Do you know this peace? You've seen the little bumper sticker. Know Jesus, no peace. Know Jesus, no peace. N-O Jesus, N-O peace. K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. That's what this name is all about. Listen, if we're going to discover Christmas... We've got to prepare our hearts. So I encourage you to join with me in the reading of Luke chapter 20, uh, chapters 1 through 24. Between now and the next 24 days. I also encourage you to find a good Advent resource and do an Advent devotional every day just to prepare your hearts. I, I'm going to billygram.org and right there on the cover page is his granddaughter's devotional from, from her book that she wrote. I can't remember the title of it. It's right there. And I'm going to read that devotional every day along with the other spiritual resources that I, I read, along with my other daily Bible reading. Just take a few moments to take advantage of this opportunity that God has given us to prepare our hearts. Be in worship every Sunday and invite all of those that you can to join with you to be part of not just singing the traditional songs that we love to sing this time of year as much as they mean to us and they do. They're part of our worship experience and our Advent experience. But to worship and thank God for sending Jesus and to prepare our hearts for a, a spiritual focus as we go through this Christmas season. If we're going to discover Christmas, we must prepare our hearts. That's what these days are all about. Deep down, we long for Jesus. And deep down, we long for hope and search for hope. God's Word says and promises that hope is possible in a weary world for weary people when we meet Jesus and when we encounter Jesus and when we walk with Jesus day by day and when our focus is on Jesus. Will you discover hope with me this Christmas season? Maybe, possibly, somebody here this morning has not yet met Jesus as Savior. It's so important that you start a relationship with the Lord Jesus, and you can do that today by turning from your sin, by recognizing your need that you can't get to heaven in your own power, and by receiving the free gift of eternal life, by praying and inviting Jesus to be your Savior. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that online if you're watching right now in there at your house, in your home. You can pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
Then I encourage you to reach out to us by way of this email address and let us follow up and help you with next steps. And if you've uh, received Jesus, let us have some immediate follow-up counseling with you. This morning, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. Others are here who can talk with you about how to receive Jesus. Don't mess around with your eternity. Nail down your decision today and let this be your day of decision to know for sure that you have eternal life and that you're going to heaven when you die. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that you give us through Jesus. Lord, for the certainty. Lord, we put our full confidence and trust in you when we place our hope in you. We thank you, Lord, for this unique gift of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.